Well, outstanding worship. You may be seated. And uh, I just want to start by saying very personally, as I was worshiping here with you, I miss you. And uh, I miss being with you. And uh, I'm really, really glad to be back and to Northridge and to Cactus and Chapel. I miss you guys certainly as well. And so, Scrap, great to be back. For those of you who've been with Scotts Bible for a little while, you know that I, I take some extended time off in the summer to go back to the Midwest where Kim and I are from and we connect with family, which is super important to us. My Kim has brothers, I have a brother and sister, my dad, her parents, and we spend a lot of time with them. And then I carve out a few weeks also to do study. It's the concentrated time of the year where I do study primarily to prepare for the year, of he- a year ahead. When I uh, was writing books the last three or four years, which I'm really glad I'm done doing, as my uh, second one will come out this October, but I, I'm not gonna miss the aspect of writing because it allowed me this summer to laser beam focus on us and where we're going in the word. Watch this, for the next year and a half. I was able to get mapped out this summer, the next year and a half of, of preaching for our church, almost two years, and I'm very, very excited, encouraged, and I think you will be too on where we're going in the word as a church over the next couple of years. So to wet your whistle, some of you who watched my little quick video on a Thursday night know that this fall we're gonna spend 12 weeks in the 10 commandments. And some of you are going, wait, there's 10 commandments. Why 12 weeks? Well, we're going to spend two weeks simply setting it up. A lot of people today don't think the 10 commandments are relevant. They, a lot of Christians don't even know or think they might apply to them because it's Old Testament. We're going to blow those things out of the water. And we're going to take a look at why the commandments are so important to our sanctification, not to our salvation, but to our walk with Jesus and even in our culture today. So it's very timely. And then in the winter, and spring, starting next year, we're going to take a look at the book of Hebrews. So I, I love that book. Some of you don't know anything about it. I can tell from your look right now. We're going to take a look at the book of Hebrews, and you're going to love it. Hebrews is a New Testament book that was written from an Old Testament perspective, and it's very relevant on our walk with the Lord and how to live in our modern times. And so again, that'll be about a 12-week series actually 14 weeks, and, and you're going you're gonna to dig that. And then next fall, so a year from now, believe it or not, uh, I've been threatening to do this for a long time, we are going to start a journey through the book of 2 Corinthians. And again, some of you don't know the Bible very well. You need to go back to Sunday school because you should be going, oh, great. The book of 2 Corinthians is probably the most honest, raw book in all of the Bible. Uh, Paul the Apostle just lays it out. He lays his life out, and it's so incredibly relevant to you and I today. So again, for those of you who love God's Word, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, you're in for for quite a ride here at our church over the next couple of years. Hopefully, till the Lord tarries, we'll never stop doing what we do here, because as you're going to hear today, it makes us us. One of the things that also came out of this summer is that before I left, really for the last year, throughout the pandemic, the elders and myself, as well as our pastoral staff, have been asking God through prayer and through discussion with each other and a lot of waiting on him, what is it that you have for Scottsdale Bible next? 
In other words, churches are, 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 uh, are organic entities. They're made up of people, and they're always on the move and always growing. And we've been asking the Lord, what is it that you have for us uh, coming hopefully out of this pandemic and in this crazy culture of ours? And we believe that the Lord has given us some very clear guidance, and we're gonna be, I'm going to be sharing that with you in a lot of detail next week. So these two weeks that we're in right now are vision weeks, and this week is going to set up next week. Next week, we're going to talk about our vision that we're calling For the Valley. You'll hear what we mean by that. And then this week, I'm going to set up why a church like ours should have a big, wonderful vision for the kingdom of God. And, and, and so my only goal today, and, and again, this will work for 98% of you, my only goal today is to make you feel good about your church. That when you walk out of here in 34 minutes and 33 seconds, you're gonna have a smile on your face as you think about what God has done and is doing at Scottsdale Bible Church for the last 60 years. And I say 98% of you because some of you are gonna walk out of here and go, he, and go, he didn't say what I wanted him to say. He's not meeting my agenda. And all I can say to you is I love you and it's just not your day. Maybe tomorrow will be better for you. But, but for today, this is the vision that the Lord has given uh, our church. And I think you're gonna be very encouraged. So enough preamble, let's bow down and pray and then we're gonna dive right in. Father, you know I personally love weekends like this, Sundays like this, where we gather as the uh, corporate church here and at our other campuses and venues and those online. And we worship you, we engage you, as so many of us have done. And now, Lord, talk intelligently and most importantly, biblically, about your church and about our lives and about you. So I pray, God, that as we uh, do a deep dive right now into this idea of, of what you've done at Scottsdale Bible Church and what you are doing, God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom, insight. May we match everything that we say right now up against your word because your words to us are truly life and we rally around them and we pray this in Jesus' name and we all say together, amen. So here's my simple premise starting out this morning and it's this. That, that just as you are a human being that has a, a very specific DNA inside of you, you've all heard of DNA, it's the building blocks of your cellular structure that makes you, you, and that just as almost, well not almost, all human beings share 99% of the same DNA, and yet there's a very small part of your DNA that makes you and only you unique, you're following me in all that? Just as all that is true, I would suggest to you that the same is true when it comes to churches. I'm gonna do an analogy today. I've called this message the DNA of SBC. And I'm gonna to talk today about, how, about what makes SBC a unique kind of church. But this idea of DNA is really important because when you look at DNA on a human organic level, it's true that 99% of us share all the same, or 99%, we share 99% of the same DNA as human beings. We're very, very similar, scientists would tell, tell you, in our cellular makeup, in our DNA. And yet there is a very, very small part of you, of who you are, that is only unique to you. It's a beautiful thing. It's also kind of a scary thing because you've all heard of DNA testing today and if you commit a crime and they have a little bit of your hair or your blood there, they can actually match it back only to you because there is a unique DNA to you that's only 
you, and yet you share a DNA, a similar DNA, in 99% of you with all other human beings. It blows me away when I think like that. And churches are almost the same way, if not the same way. Think about it. The, the Bible calls the church the body, isn't that interesting, the body of Christ. So we are God's body with Jesus as our head. And I would suggest to you that by analogy, we've been given a spiritual DNA as Christ's body. And it's a DNA that you and I as Scottsdale Bible Church share with every other Christian church on planet Earth. What is that DNA? We're gonna talk a little bit more about the general DNA next week when we note that the church exists to manifest the kingdom of God on planet Earth. That's why we exist, to glorify God and build his kingdom on Earth. But how do we do that? Well, we preach the word, we fellowship together, we serve others, we love, we pray, we worship, we're guided by the Spirit. Think of all the things that you know <clears throat> that church is to be about. That's, by analogy, our DNA as the body of Jesus Christ. And again, these are things that any and all churches who believe in Jesus and follow the Bible are about. Symbolically, they're our DNA as the body of Christ. And yet, just like every human being has a small part of their DNA that is unique only to them, I find it's the same with Christian churches. And that's not a bad thing. This stat will blow you away. There's over 330,000 Christian churches in America. That always blows me away. People say, you know, that church attendance is, is going down, and in some ways it is, but in many ways we've held our own. There's 330,000 Christian churches in the United States. This will blow you away. When you consider the world, we actually only have a very small part of the Christian church. Uh, there are 37 million Christian churches in the world today. 37 million. Yep, you can clap at that. And, and, and here's the cool thing, is that the sizable majority of them, not all, but the sizable majority, embrace and live out the DNA of Christ's body. In other words, they teach the word, they pray, they worship, they love, they relate, they reach out, all under the headship of Jesus but as we also know, and this bothers some of you, but it shouldn't, there are differences, distinct differences, between churches who carry the same DNA, just like there are differences between human beings that share a similar DNA. It bothers some people, and this is a true stat, that right now, out of 37 million churches in the United States, there, I'm sorry, in the world, there are 34,000 different denominations of Christian churches. Now, again, the reason I'm smiling is because of some of the denominational distinctives and some of you have come out of these are, are, are really petty and silly. And that's why you like a church like ours, because we don't get into that stuff and you know, we don't make you know, mountains out of molehills and, and, and we don't major in the minors and things like that. But, but the reality is, is that it's not a bad thing that there are differences between Christian churches because each church under the headship of Jesus has to find out what God wants them to do, what he wants them to be about, how they're to express themselves. And therein lies some, if not many, of the differences. And what I want to share with you today is what our elders and pastors believe are some of the unique DNA markers, if you will, of Scottsdale Bible Church that make us us. 
This is really important for where we're going next week because next week we're gonna lay out probably the boldest vision we ever have in the 14 years that I've been your pastor. And some of you, very few, but some of you are gonna send me an email saying, who do you think you are, you know, to have a vision like that? And, and, and I'm gonna say, did you listen to last week? <laughs> Because our elders believe, we have one right here, that, that we have a, a unique DNA as a church that is worth expanding and sharing with a lost world. So what is that? I'm gonna share with you about four or five things today that again, I, I hope and believe are gonna encourage you and put a smile on your face about your church. Because the first thing that makes us us as Scottsdale Bible Church is actually found in our name. And it's this, that we are about clear Bible teaching delivered with authentic application. We've thought long and hard about how to say this. Clear Bible teaching delivered with authentic application. You know, I think one of the most potent things Jesus ever said to Satan occurs in Matthew chapter four, verse four, when after Jesus had fasted in the desert for 40 days and was really hungry, Satan tempted him with food. And Jesus replied with what has become a very, very popular and well-known statement, and it says this. It says, but he, Jesus, answered Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Whoa, would you say that if you hadn't eaten for 40 days? And somebody tempted you with food and say, hey, you know, you, you don't get it. A man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. My soul is living on the very words of God. Jesus is actually quoting Moses here uh, from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, where Moses said this exact thing to Israel who was eating manna at that time, you know, and, 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 they, and they were enjoying the manna. And Moses said, be careful, because man doesn't live by bread or manna alone but by the very words that come from God. And so how do we get these words? How does God speak so that we might hear what he has to say? How do you and I know what he is thinking? Well, for the answer to that, I want you to look at the opening salvo of the New Testament book of Hebrews, the book we're gonna study this next winter, and notice that it answers it for us. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken still to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You know, when you do a deep dive in this passage, it's really cool. It's actually encompassing almost the entire Bible in what it says. It's telling us that in history past, God has spoken through the prophets. Well, Moses was a prophet, and he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And then you have four major prophets. Remember them, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel, and they wrote down all this stuff. And then you have 13 minor prophets, and they all wrote books. And so before you know it, just this idea that God spoke through the prophets delivers up for us the Old Testament that we currently have, God has spoken. And then the author of Hebrews tells us here that he has also spoken in these last days that we're still in through his son. So now that includes all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because those contain the very words of Jesus. And then also we know that Paul said, hey, the, the Lord gave me direct revelation. I was caught up into heaven, and he gave me direct revelation, and I'm writing this stuff down. So that includes Paul's 13 letters. 
So before you know it, you realize that you have this thing in front of you called a Bible that has been painstakingly cared for and put together over 3,500 years with multiple authors, 66 different books, and that this is where God has spoken. You might think all sorts of things about God. Your neighbor might have all sorts of opinions about God. Every one of them needs to be matched up to his word. Why? Because God has spoken, and man does not live by bread alone, but by the very words that come from the mouth of God. And so maybe now you can see why SBC, your church, is so rabid about clear Bible teaching, because it contains the very words of God, so that we might know his will for our lives. And some of you think right now, well, other churches do clear Bible teaching. Granted, if there's anything that might make ours just a little bit more unique, and maybe unique to us, is that we do have a value to deliver up the word of God to you with authenticity and application. I call this AA Bible teaching, and it doesn't mean Alcoholics Anonymous. It means authentically applicational Bible teaching. What do I mean by that? I teach our young pastors this all the time, that whenever we teach the word of God, don't ever forget 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where Paul the apostle says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, Paul was not shy to say as a leader and teacher, hey, let me share my life with you. Let me share authentically who I am and my struggles and my victories. And as I, as I interact with Jesus and share these things with you in a very real way, hopefully you can be discipled as well. And so the reason that we tell you stories from the pulpit about our lives is not to be narcissistic. It's simply to help you realize that the things that the Bible teaches are real and that they hit real life and that they hit us. There's not a time when I'm preparing to speak before you that I don't say to myself before God, what are you doing with this, Jamie? Are you living this? Do you believe this? How has this impacted you over the years? And much of the stories we tell you come out of this. And then we apply it. And that comes right from James chapter 1, verse 22, where James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. So I never want you guys to leave ever here or at Northridge, Cactus, Chapel, those of you online, without knowing what God wants you to do based on what he has revealed. And all I know is that when you and I deliver up the Bible that way, or we get taught the Bible that way, it changes lives. This summer, I uh, dialed in online every week to uh, hear Kevin and Rustin, not to make sure they're doing a good job, but because as I've said, they, they feed my soul. And I, and I think they are just wonderful and profound Bible teachers. And, and the last couple of weeks as they taught, I, I actually was blown away and, and so proud and encouraged by the, the vulnerability that they had from the pulpit. I mean, Rustin shared a bit of his journey and his childhood and some of the abuse that he experienced. And that was such a bold, gutsy thing to share. Very, very revealing for him. But he did it uh, to show you the path of healing that God might have for you as the Lord is continuing to heal him. And then Kevin, last week, he just took the cake, didn't he? He shared that he was a thief in high school. Did you catch it? I mean, he, I, I, here I am studying the Ten Commandments, 
and one of them is don't steal. I got a pastor back in Scottsdale saying he was a thief in high school. And again, he didn't do it to say I'm still a thief. He did it to say, look at what a mess I was even as a Christian kid in high school and how I let my parents down, but their grace and amazing, you know, I mean, he had a purpose in all of it to teach you the word of God. And again, I know you guys relate to those things because I do. And that's how we get the word of God. We teach it, we exegete it very clearly, but then we help you apply it. And that's kind of the way that we function. It is the way that we function as a church. And here's what happens when you and I finally get the word of God in us in this way. I love this, Romans 12 verse two. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why we teach the Bible here. That's why we spend time doing it. That's why we don't shy away from it, even if it's hard stuff. Did you catch Kevin? When Kevin told me, he said, I'm gonna talk about hell and judgment and heaven, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I'm out of town. So I, I'm just, I mean, but I'm so proud of him. They didn't shy away from that stuff because he's helping us to think biblically and to be transformed. The word simply means change. Will you hand me that stool there, Hayden, thanks. I, uh, I want to make a comment right now <laughs> that, uh, that, that I was very, very reticent to make. And, uh, but I think it, I just have to because I love you guys so much and I, and, and I think this is important for us to understand as we move forward. What I'm talking about here, this whole idea of clear Bible teaching and that that's a core part of our DNA, this might help some of you understand why I don't preach the headlines probably once every other week, so call it 26 times a year, I'll get a very forward email from a well-meaning saint in our church. And, and I could tell they're passionate, downright angry, that I'm not preaching more the headlines. Why aren't you talking about the partisan divide? Why aren't you talking about what Biden's doing? Why aren't you talking about the border crisis? Why aren't you talking about Haiti? Why aren't you talking about the hurricane? Why aren't you talking about Afghanistan? I mean, all, all these things. I mean, every week, if you read the headlines, you know there's very significant, difficult cultural issues going on around us. And, and, and they say to me, why aren't you talking more about this? <laughs> I, I want to comment on that right now. Because one of the reasons that I don't preach the headlines, and you've caught it today, and, and I hope you can hear this, is that my job is not to preach the headlines, my job is to teach you the Bible, amen? It is. Yeah, I, I hope that's meaningful to you. <laughs> I'm noting who's not clapping right now, so, no, I'm teasing. Look, I'm gonna explain this to you. I, uh, there are some pastors and there are some churches that feel called to preach the headlines. To, to constantly, and by the way, it's not wrong what they're doing. I want to defend this. What they're doing is taking all the things happening in culture, and then they note them throughout the week, and then on Sunday, they match them against the scriptures, right? And they say, well, you know, this scripture bears on this issue, and this and we should all learn to do that. You'll hear me say that in a minute here. We should all be able to do that. But that is not teaching the Bible, at least expositionally and exegetically, the way God has called me to do as your pastor. If I spend time doing that, and I can, and I'm good at it, and I'm generally right in all of my biblical opinions, if I spend my time doing that, then, please hear this, I'd never teach you the book of Hebrews. I would never teach you the book of 2 Corinthians. In fact, thought about it this week, here are the books we've studied over the last 14 years. You would not have been taught Ruth, James, Romans, 1 John, Philippians, Esther, the entire Gospel of John, Nehemiah, Galatians, Daniel, 2 Peter, and 1 Peter. 
Those are the books we've studied because we don't preach the headlines, we preach the very words of God. Now, let me make a couple comments in light of this as well because I don't wanna be misunderstood. Does this mean that I never preach things going on in culture? Of course not. I, I don't mean to say this to defend myself, but I'm the only large church pastor I know of that the last three election cycles, I've taken an entire message to tell you how to vote. I'm the only pastor. And I don't, and I'm joking kind of there. I mean, I don't tell you whether, you know, partisan way, but I tell you what values are important from the word of God. And I've talked about the sanctity of life. I've talked about religious freedom. I've talked about the value of, of heterosexual marriage. I've talked about immigration, the poor. I put the issues before you and said, this is what the Bible says as you go into that ballot box. I don't shy away from the issues, but I don't do that every week. I don't preach the headlines. I'm mired in the word of God as you want me to be, because it's part of our DNA. And then here's the most powerful thing I can share with you. And somebody texted me about this after the last um, service because they found this rather meaningful. They had never thought of it this way. <laughs> My goal is that as I help you understand this book, as I help you, and I'm, I know I'm just a small part of it, as you engage in Bible study and your own study and, 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 and as you talk about the Bible with your friends and as you listen to mine and, and the other guy's teachings here, my goal is to help you to learn how to read the headlines yourself. In other words, you don't need me standing over your shoulder saying, you know, Darrell, this is how you need to think. You need to think this about that and this about that and this about that. Some churches feel they need to do that. I don't. One of the beautiful things about the history of our church in almost 60 years is that we have unashamedly taught this book and we've taught people how to think biblically about the world around them by clearly teaching the Bible so that when you confront the headlines, you know what to do, amen? And that's the way we approach it. And again, there will be times where I do tell you, hey, this is an important one. Maybe you ought to consider this. And every time I do, I get a barrage of emails saying, who are you to do that? Oh, I'm your pastor. But anyways, I, there are times that I do that. But most of the time, I won't. And again, whether that floats your boat or not, please know the reason I do this is because it's core to our DNA, clear Bible teaching, delivered with authenticity and application. Now, uh, we have 13 minutes left for those of you who watch the clock. And, and I spent a lot of time in that first one. You can see why, because it really is core to who we are and, and we needed to, to communicate some things. But let me spend 13 minutes just talking to you about three other DNA markers of our church and then one overriding thing. And again, I'm hoping to put a smile on your face about our church. Here's the second one. And that is that we worship in a way that engages people with God. We're about worship that engages people with God. What do we mean by this? Well, when we gather as a church for worship, for singing and all the things that we do before our time of the word, please understand, it's not warm-up music. It's not music to somehow make you feel good before the sermon. Look at what God's word says, Psalm 95, verses six and seven. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So why is it that you and I sing songs? Why is it that we read scripture and pray and at chapel and other places do more liturgy? Why do we do those things? One reason, one reason only, and that's to help you connect with God before we turn to our time in the word. It's super important. 
You've had a crazy week. You're listening to all sorts of crud throughout the week, right? I mean, you're watching stuff and listening to stuff that you shouldn't be, and many of you like secular music, which is fine. I'm not down on secular music. I like both kinds of music, country and Western, so I listen to secular music myself. But you know, after listening to George Strait for six days straight, I'm ready for some worship. How about you? And so I come in here and I want to worship God and I want to connect with him. And here's where it gets dicey, (laughs) is that many Christians today confuse singing with worship. And even worse, many Christians come into a church, even our church, and they sing and they never engage God. And part of the reason is, and again, I'm gonna slap your hand a little bit here, but just, I know you guys, you know I love you, but I do this too, I guess, is that we, 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 we've been, become such an entertained culture. And so we come into church, and if you don't like the song, or if you don't like the style of music, you all of a sudden tune God out. Ooh. I went to church a couple times this summer. I didn't disengage from church. I was in northern Michigan, and one of the churches was a rather large church, and one was a really small church. I mean, it was smaller than your Bible study. I kid you not. I got into the church, Kim and I did. We recommended it. It was a town of about 700 people, and we got into this church, and and there was eight people there when we got there. And I thought, surely there's going to be some more that come. It ended up being about 15 of us. And they had a worship band And let me ask you a question. Do you think that worship band was top-notch in its quality? I can just tell you right now, the law of averages says it's going to be really tough. You know, unless they had Vince Gill or something like that, which they didn't. It's going to be really tough to some of you going, who's Vince Gill? You need to get with country music. Anyways, uh, (laughs) the worship was, you know, what you would expect in a church of 15. Let me tell you what I did. I worshiped God for a half an hour. It wasn't the best quality music. Who cares? The words led me to him. The words were right from scripture and they were true. And I didn't even know half the songs. You know, some of you, when you come into church, I get it, I'm this way too. You know, Derek and his team say, hey, we're gonna teach you a new song. You're like, I don't wanna learn a new song. (laughs) And you know, I think God just says to you, I don't care. You're here to engage me. And whether it's your song or not, whether you like the song or not, whether the quality is good or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you give your heart to God. If the words are scriptural and every one that we sing, every song we sing, the words are scriptural, you have no excuse but to come in here prepared to engage God in worship. Because as you do that, I'm telling you, you're gonna find yourself changed and growing and prepared for our time in the word. So we are about clear Bible teaching. We're about engaging worship. And then there's a third aspect to our DNA, and this one's really important, and that is we're about relationships that bring healing, relationships that bring healing. And by the way, notice I didn't say fellowship. Fellowship's a great Christian word, and I'm a big believer in fellowship, but fellowship, sadly today, has become a term that many people mean just getting with other Christians, studying the Bible, having a meal together, all good things. But unless you have the kind of Christian relationships in which you get to tell your story, in which you get to bring healing to your soul that needs it, you're just playing games. And one of our values here is to have the kind of relationships happening in which people heal. 
Look at how uh, the book of Romans would put this. I love this verse. I, for those of you, see Mark here right now. For those of you who notice what translation I use, I usually switch it between the NASB and the, and the ESV. I, I like how the, the New Living Translation says it here. And, and it's accurate. I checked it. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I, I like how it says here, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Some of your translations would say the lowly. I actually didn't like that translation. I, I looked it up. The word just simply means people that you don't think are like you, <laughs> that we're tempted to call lowly. And here's just basically saying, hey, you know, you're the weird one. Don't be too proud to associate with ordinary people, you weirdo. That's what the Bible is saying here. <laughs> and I love that. You know, Scottsdale Bible Church is a, is a tough nut to crack here. We all know that. I mean, we are seen as a wealthy, you know, um, rather together kind of church. And, and though there might be wealth in this church, among some and not wealth among others, you need to know as your pastor, I just don't look at any of that. I really am not a respecter of persons. I look at all of you, and I know you laugh at this because I love you so much, but I look at you at the pathetic mess that you are. <laughs> and you don't fool me. We all got hurt, we all got pain, but we all put our, our, our pants on one leg at a time. As the Bible says, Elijah was a man just like us. He was one of the greatest prophets in all the Old Testament. And so you don't fool me. No one in Scottsdale fools me. It's why I can love you so freely. Is that all of us are hurting. And all of us have a story. And part of Christian fellowship, relationship, is telling your story without being judged with a safe group of people who are willing to listen and love you. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, I haven't found that here yet. Well, then keep looking. Because I have. I don't tell my my, my pearls, the Bible says don't throw your pearls to swine. I, I don't throw my pearls to just anybody. I have a soul, and there are things in my soul that I'm very guarded about. But I have a group of men that I meet with, and I have a wonderful wife. And between those two groups of people, they know everything. I, I can't break confidence, but before I left on my trip, I was just fried. I was hurting, I was tired, and I was, and I was kind of in a bad place. And, and, and the Tuesday before I left, I came into my men's group, and I just unloaded on them. And the reason I could do that is I felt safe with them. And I felt they wouldn't judge me. And I felt they would love me. And all I can tell you is I came out of that time still shaky, wasn't magic, but I felt the healing begin. And that's what God does. He takes those relationships that we have, just a few, you don't need a ton, but other brothers and sisters in Christ that you're willing to, to open up to and he brings healing to our lives, at least he does for me. It's a clear Bible teaching we got engaging worship, and we got real relationships that heal. And then a fourth part of our DNA, and we're not gonna spend any time on this today because we're actually having a, a serving fair out there to help you get involved in this, is service-based outreach that reveals Jesus. What do I mean by this? Real quickly, uh, second to last verse. Uh, Jesus said about himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Part of what you and I need to realize is that Jesus modeled for us that if you want to redeem the world, you need to serve and love them first. Give me a head nod that y'all understand that. So Jesus came teaching, healing, hospitality. He turned water into wine. He washed people's feet. 
I mean, he was a carpenter. He built houses for people, the first habitat for humanity. So Jesus modeled for us that you want to serve the same humanity you want to save. There's something in that for us, that it's through serving each other and then the community around us that we earn the right to talk to them about Jesus, amen? And our church believes that. For 60 years, this is not mine, Daryl and the team way before him have done that. They have said, if we're gonna win the right to be heard, let's do something tangible to earn that right. I see my friend Susan here, who started a ministry years ago called Just Moved, and she helps people that move into new areas, not just Scottsdale, but lots of areas, adjust to that new move. It's an international ministry that helps people understand how to alleviate the stress of moving, and she does this teaching and helps kind of ministry, why? To be able to talk to them further about Jesus. And that ministry formed when years ago she caught a vision of this church called service-based outreach. We serve in order to outreach. It's part of our DNA. It's why we ask all of you to roll up your sleeves and put on the serving towel and start serving each other and the world around you. Now, we're just about out of time. We got just a couple minutes left. Hopefully, that smile is getting put on your face. You need to smile. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. And we're going to help you uh, have a smile by the time you leave here in church. Because if everything that I've said does not float your boat, and again, it, it, not all churches are like this, and not all churches are us, and so maybe you're saying, I don't know if I'm excited about all this. I, okay. This last one, man, it's all I got. Because this is the core to our DNA, but I believe it's the core to what the Bible communicates about God. And this is the umbrella it's, it's the core of our DNA, it's this, grace. That the core of our DNA is grace. John, when he was describing Jesus, said it this way. He said, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Most Christians have no idea the beauty of this phrase. <laughs> he didn't say, for of his fullness we all received and hey, we also got grace. He didn't say that. He, he's being poetic, he says, and we have received grace upon grace. Do you know what that means? It means that when you are hurting or needy, which by the way, you were always hurting and needy in, in light of God. And, and when you were in that way, he says, he's saying the Bible, Jesus gives you grace. And then there's more grace and more grace and more grace, grace upon grace. John Piper, the great theologian calls this future grace. He says that God has reserved grace in future time, time that's not even happened yet, so that around every corner, if you trust him, there is grace to be found. Every theologian of any weight over the last 2,000 years has realized that the core of who God is, the core of what the Bible says about him is grace. Calvin called his doctrines the doctrines of grace. Paul began every single New Testament letter saying grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your theological persuasion, it all comes back to grace. And I believe this so strongly because he has shown me so much of his grace that honestly, the only compliment you could ever really give me that, that really means anything to me is a compliment that I've gotten the two times that I have left the church as a senior pastor. Don't worry, I'm not announcing I'm leaving. At least I don't think I am. But, but I, uh, I, 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 I've left two churches, and when people have said to me, and I get weepy just thinking about this, 
Jamie, I'm gonna miss you because you've taught me grace. That's all I ever need to hear. That's all I ever need to hear because his grace is the core of everything that he is about. Some of you go, no, truth matters. Well, of course, of course truth matters. But did you know that you would not have his truth without grace? Because your mind is darkened and your mind is incapable of not only discovering God's truth on your own, but even understanding the Bible for crying out loud. It's only his grace that has saved your soul, that allows you to be filled with the Spirit to understand his truth. Did you follow all of that? Peel back the onion of who God is, and the core will be grace. And you should be so thankful that it is. I will never tire of talking to you guys about grace. I had a buddy of mine, an elder from my last church, come a couple of years ago, and wouldn't you know I was speaking on grace, you know? And he said to me after he said, man, you're like a one-string banjo, aren't you? And I said, yes, thank you. Because if I only had one string to pluck in all of God's notes, it'd be the string of grace. And I hope that's your heart too. Next week, we are going to accelerate, as I often say, and we're gonna talk about the vision that God has given us for the valley and for our church. And I think you're gonna be greatly encouraged because it's not about us, it's about him. And, uh, and yet, please, please ruminate on what we've talked about here today. I hope it makes you feel good about your church, that you're in a church that will never, ever shy away from clear Bible teaching. We're gonna give it to you authentically and hopefully tell you what to do with it. Uh, we are a church that wants you to engage God in worship, not just singing, but let's give ourselves to him in whatever venue that we're in. We're a church that wants you to connect in a real relationship or two, just a few, that can bring healing in which you get to tell your story and move closer to God on a human level. We want you to serve so that you can earn the right to be heard. It's the best way to do it. And we hope, we hope that you get his grace. Why don't you pray with me? God, thank you for uh, all that you are to us. Uh, God, I, I get excited talking about these things because for 30 years, 35 years, you have saved me. And then ever since then, you plopped me in a church. And, and though I've gotten so frustrated at times with the church, when I lift my eyes to what you want your church to be about, the DNA stuff, I get excited. And Lord, I, I hope I didn't communicate anything here today to these people to suggest that we're perfect. We're not. You know that, Lord. We are as fallen as fallen human beings can be here at Scottsdale Bible. But we do love you. And we strive to love each other. And we care about the lost in our community. We care about the fabric of our society. And God, we want to make a difference. We want you to use us in any way that you see fit. And so Lord, hopefully, hopefully we've landed on the right things here today. The things that, that you've wrought in our church over the last 60 years and brought us to today. Give us unity. Give us vision more than anything. Give us excitement about Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And we all say together, amen. amen.